lot to talk about today, so I won't screw around. What I will say, though, valiant effort by the Rangers last night in Toronto, 3-2 in overtime. Obviously, that overtime period, they did not show up. Mika Zibanejad, I don't know what he was doing. He was a spectator, not a player. That's for another show. This is Market Call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, 30 minutes, people, and then we're 5,000. That's Dan Nathan. I'm G Swizz. We got butters coming up, not in the flesh, but you know what I'm talking about. We have some of his work. Uh, today's episode, Dan, is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Also, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. A lot of risk out there, clearly leading to, Dan, a lot of opportunity. Yeah, matter of fact, and we're just going to get this right all in one show. Oh, I see what uh, you did there. In, yeah, I see, see what, what I did, did there. there. Yeah. Um, so thanks to all our fine sponsors, CME Group, FactSet, and SoFi. All right, let's do it. Like you said, Guy, we got a lot of stuff to uh, do today. Um, you know, this GDP print, okay, so 2.9%, a little better than expected, down from 3.2 um, in the third quarter here. Um, you know, it's, let, let's just kind of wrap it all up into kind of the price action we're seeing in the stock market, what we saw in the stock market yesterday, what investors, I think, want to believe about what's going on. And again, you and I, okay, we believe a certain set of things, and we're expressing those views in a certain way, and we mm -hmm. update our views every day here. You know, I can't tell you that the price action yesterday was not bullish if you are one of those perma bulls who looked at btfd and all that sort of stuff you know to have microsoft reverse from the post market the night before and to be up four percent to be down four percent to close unchanged on the day to have the nasdaq come back all those stocks that were down in sympathy come back and then today you know you have data that on the surface looks a little worse than expected but we see very very green day here in the yeah. stock market i mean you tell me i'm not changing my tune but i'm going to continue to challenge my thesis yeah you got to constantly challenge your thesis I, you got to constantly challenge yourself and where can i be wrong what can go wrong will go wrong what am i missing which is why it's good to have a community of people that continually challenge each other in terms of what they're looking at it's interesting i think this is either island giza or island giza depending on how you pronounce it but he says market call needs to pivot that's interesting listen maybe at some point we will pivot I, you know it, it, it's it's okay to do that i mean trading is being fluid and trying to be non-dogmatic it's interesting though we had marco kalanovic on fast money the other night echoing a lot of the things that we've been saying the price action though has been good and you're right to bring up microsoft we said it that day probably a gap up to 250 wait for the conference call and that's exactly what happened. You saw the stock traded down to 232 yesterday, but the way that it rebounded and then the ensuing move it's having today is very encouraging. And the fact that the market hung in yesterday and bounced back the way it did, very encouraging. So a lot to like if you're yeah. in the bull camp for sure. And a lot of people that are in our camp probably questioning their thesis and wondering, all right, what am I missing here? I don't necessarily think we're missing anything. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that's what makes markets, as I said, a million times. Yeah. You know, I'm not again, while I'm questioning it, I'm looking at I respect really good price action in the face of bad news and all that sort of stuff. I, I guess to me, this is it feels like deja vu all over again, guy. If you go back to, you know, the March, April rally, you go back to the June, August rally, you go back to the October, December rally. You know, they all and we've talked about it on market call. They seem really similar to the kind of what we're in right now. We have a Fed meeting, you know, that people had expectations into in those past three things. And then they got some commentary that made them feel a bit more comfortable relative to where stocks were okay they were coming off relative lows the difference here is that we have this meeting next wednesday 
and then followed by one in mid-March here, stocks have been rallying in the face of bad news. Again, bullish. I think a lot of expectations are that the Fed is going to say that we are nearly done. Um, Fed fund futures are pricing in more of more cuts late this year than they were just a few weeks ago, right? And so I think we have a, a, a you know a tweet on that from uh, Lisa Abramovich. If you want to take a look at that, so again, a lot, a lot of things are lining up. Rates are coming in, the dollars coming in, inflationary inputs are coming in. Um, the idea that the Fed is going to soften their stance on inflation because of all that. So again, all supportive to equity valuations. But again, I go back to we're in the middle of earnings season. We're probably what less than a quarter way through for S and P five hundred. It doesn't sound great. Put that together with the GDP, and might we see a soft spot mid-year, right? And stocks will not just – they didn't bottom at 17 times earnings. They just <laughs> didn't, right, Guy? I, I don't think so, no. And, you know, again, you have people ratcheting down expectations. And, uh, listen, the price action of Microsoft on the margins is encouraging. But the guidance they gave in the commentary in that conference call was not particularly rosy nor has some of the commentary been from other companies either. And John Anderson points out, and John's been with us since day one, so John Hopewell as well. Apple on the second, which I believe is also on Wednesday or Thursday of next week. I don't know. Those, whatever it is, I mean, that's going to be really interesting to see as well. What is their commentary going to be? You know, I've seen a lot of data suggesting that smartphone demand is down. I, but again, the market, we say it all the time, the market interprets and makes its decision based on the news. I'm sort of perplexed as to why we're seeing the bounce that we have. You know, I thought Microsoft would be the catalyst, given the run the S&P had, to bring us to the next leg lower. And, you know, maybe over the course of the next week or so, that'll come to fruition. It obviously didn't happen yesterday or today. But to your point, things are lining up for the Fed pretty well. I, I think they have to be sitting on their perch and say, you know, this is working out rather well. What's not necessarily working out for them yet is the unemployment rate stays sticky on the low end of things. I, I still think they need to get that higher. But maybe in the end of the day, you won't see a big a move up in unemployment. Maybe the economy continues to chug along and maybe they're able to sort of thread this needle. I just for the life of me can't figure out how that happens. Yeah, I, I guess the higher we go into the Feb 1 um you know, Fed meeting, I mean, the harder it is to rally out of it. And you might see some headlines that basically the algos, you know, take up initially, right? When they come out at two o'clock, I could definitely see that thing failing a little bit there and then being stuck with a lot of the headlines that we, you know, expect to continue to see um, out of earnings season. And to your point about Apple, you know, we're going to get a better read tonight. We're going to take a look at Intel in a little bit here. Mm -hmm. um, what Microsoft had to say about consumer demand for PCs and, and the like is something that Intel is likely to echo and is likely to have an impact um, on Apple. Guy, let's take a look here um, at the NASDAQ, the NDX here. And, you know, when I think about this, and we're just going to focus on the NDX today, we spent a lot of time on the S&P 500. It's basically touched its 200-day moving average. You see the downtrend. We didn't even have to draw that line. And again, it's gotten a little bit of a boost. It's back up towards those December highs. I look at that five-year chart and you can say, okay, you know, we've been highlighting those October lows and what we think is an air pocket down to those pre-pandemic highs from February 2020. Maybe that was it. Maybe they bought them. Maybe they're breaking mm -hmm. this downtrend. Maybe they're getting through the 200-day moving average. Maybe a lot of the damage has been done. We know that five or six stocks make up 40% of the weight. Maybe Tesla, which we're going to hit in a second, 
maybe that's it. Maybe 400 to 100 was enough. And, and, you know, we find some equilibrium and those would be the things that could help the NDX bottom here. Thoughts on the NASDAQ, because this is the one I'm really focused on rather than the S&P. All of those names are obviously big components in the S&P 500, but because of the rotations that we've seen among sectors, you know, the S&P is less interesting to me as far as the direction of the broader market right here. Yeah. Now, listen, all great points. It surprises me because I thought that you know, forgetting about this little leg higher that we've seen, if you look at sort of the last little part of that chart, that down move we saw, um, I thought that would be sort of the catalyst to take us to that 9,800 level, which if you look, it's the lower green horizontal line, which by the way, is where we 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 dropped from or collapsed from back in February of 2020. That makes sense. And I, and I still think there's a possibility for that happening. Obviously, the Tesla bounce has helped. Uh, Microsoft holding in there to some degree, Apple bouncing off 125 in a pretty meaningful fashion. All good things, all important things to hold this thing up. Question is how long? I, you know, these stocks, by the way, went from fairly valued, in my opinion, to now expensive again. And we'll just throw Nvidia in there as well, which has had a remarkable yeah. move from I think 108 up to 180, back to 146. And as we're sitting here today, I think it's close to $200 into earnings, I believe, next week, which is, again, to use the word, remarkable, because it went from being probably somewhat fairly valued to being, once again, one of the more expensive stocks out there. I don't know what the street is looking for. I know there have been some analyst calls in NVIDIA, people trying to play a little stock market here. Uh, again, valuation matters in this environment, and this is an expensive stock, but this has also helped that NDX chart that we just had on for you people waiting for the word toggle, if you want to toggle back real quick, that's gotten us this little uh, bounce back off this recent low. Yeah, and <clears throat> just to be clear, they report on February 22nd, so there's... Oh, um, okay, you know, for some reason, no, I thought it was next week. We, no, we got a few weeks, but but again, I think what Microsoft have to say about consumer and gaming, what Intel's going to have to say about the consumer, this is all going to be stuff that is interesting for NVIDIA. And I'll just take one issue, Guy, with what you said, though, and, and not that I disagree with you, but the market right now is disagreeing with you. You said this is still an environment that cares about valuation. They don't. I mean, like, like, think yeah. about it. Like, look at the way Nvidia's rallied back. Look at the way Tesla's rallied. Look at Shopify up a hundred percent off of its lows. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Netflix is once again expensive. Where you know, a few months ago, you could make the case, and you did on valuation why it's cheap relative to itself, right? relative to its peers, relative to expectations, all of that stuff. So I feel like we're getting back into a zone where because rates have come in and some of these inflation inputs are down, despite wage inflation kind of being sticky here, it seems like investors are really throwing caution in the wind as it relates to valuation once more, which is why I kind of believe that we are going to see one of those sorts of moves that we saw you know, that exhausted themselves after two months. This happened about three times last year. They averaged about 15, 16% or so. We're not there yet. The one thing I'll say, and we highlighted this yesterday on that S&P chart, is that the S&P, you know, made its first higher low in a very long time, mm -hmm. right? And so that is all the stuff that's all encouraging. When, when Carter comes on, he's just talking about the technicals, right? And he's just looking at the lines and he's looking at the data and he's looking at pattern recognition. He's looking at relative strength, all these things. And you and I are putting a lot of other inputs in there too. So um, again, you know, all interesting stuff. Let's look real quickly at the VIX guy. If we look at a, a one-year chart going back to the start of 2022, you know, this one, we've said it again and again and again in the teens, you know, you sell stocks in 
the 30s or, you know, you get there, you buy stocks, right? That's kind of played out and that's kind of coincided a little bit. If you look at that's the VIX versus the S&P 500 here, and we're at a place where it feels like the VIX wants to melt into the mid-teens. And that would mean that maybe the S&P finds a little room uh, for a little more, but then you want to turn that thing around. And, and again, you know, bear markets don't end on the sort of optimism that we have right here. They end on a whole heck of a lot of skepticism. And I just don't believe that before we even have a recession um, that the market is going to bottom and that the October lows were it. Talk to me about this chart, VIX versus the S&P. Yeah, and then well, throw up the one year of the VIX too, because this is kind of telling the story here is that the next push up in the S&P 500 is going to mean what? 16, 17 of the VIX guy. Yep. Without question. And this is one, again, we've never said to trade the VIX. What we try to point out is you use it to sort of as a barometer of you know when you can get in and out of things and a couple times last year and we talked about it and we were i think somewhat prescient about it every time the vix had gotten sort of 34 so that was your signal to buy stocks it happened in june in a meaningful way it happened again in october prior to that you saw a couple really wacky days in the market intraday moves you know 500 point up and down swings in the dow jones those types of things and that typically is a pretty textbook uh textbook play textbook earmark uh, of, a, of a short-term bottom and a subsequent rally we saw that with a vix here though and somebody asked a question i think it was matrix of compassion or i love that by the way i don't know what it means but i sort of dig it you know what's the black swan event out there well as he knows by definition you know black swans one of those things you can't really predict but there are two things out there on the horizon that i think the vix is pricing in i think one of those things is this debt ceiling without question um, I don't think the market is paying it nearly enough uh, consideration. I think they're going to push the envelope on this one. I'm not saying it's going to get 2011 bad, but you know we could approach that type of thing. And again, you know the China-Taiwan thing, there still seem to be rumblings. Every other day, we seem to be getting some sort of indication that things are flaring up. Um, and we'll see. I mean, those are the two things that I look at. And then obviously, just the fundamentals do matter at a certain point, Dan. And the market is expensive at these levels. Even with um, some of the, the some of the optimism we're seeing, and maybe some of the hope that the Fed has actually figured this whole thing out, you know, I just don't see those things playing out. Yeah, again, you know, once we get through the Fed next week, we have a bunch of data tomorrow morning also. Um, you know, maybe we can kind of put some of the economic data, uh, you know, just some of the the macro in the rearview mirror and start focusing on stocks. I think, again, you know, there's been some tremendous opportunities. I think you just said it on the trading front here. Um, if you can be nimble, I think a lot of viewers and listeners to our content realize that, you know, they're doing other things. They have other careers, you know, like the market stuff and the commentary that we are very grateful that you guys tune in for and gals every day. Um, it really is meant to be just kind of, I don't know, maybe we're kind of your market Sherpas here a little bit um, and getting into the weeds a little bit too much. For some of you, we know that a lot of you guys don't short stocks. A lot of you guys don't buy puts. A lot of you guys, you know what I mean? But sometimes from a sentiment standpoint, it's really interesting to hear how some people that you hopefully know, like, and trust um, are positioning. Let's take a look Hold at- on. This is interesting. Yeah. I know we got to go, but I love this. Chris Sinclair pulled this one up. Fear-mongering media pushing World War III again. Well, we're not the media, number one. Uh, we're not pushing anything. By the way, if you go back, you know, prior to the Olympics uh, in the fall of that year, we talked about the Russia-Ukraine situation happening. I mean, I'm not a poli-sci major, but it wound up happening. And I'm not pushing anything. I don't want there to be an out. But if you just read the tea leaves, there's clearly something going on. So, you know, 
fear mongering. I love that. When you when you try to point out things that can happen, it's fear mongering. I mean, it'd be easy to say, you know what, buy stocks in over fist, the world's a great place because there are no repercussions for being the chair leader. But there are obviously people out there that don't want to hear the truth. Anyway, back to you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I, I agree with your sentiments there, Guy Adami. Um, let's look at a couple of things that are earning, uh, are reporting earnings. Intel tonight after the close, the implied move in the option market is about 6.5% or about $2. How do we figure out that, guys? We're going to give us a little bit of a quiz. We take the at-the-money straddle. That's the call premium and the put premium at the strike in which the stock is trading. Intel is trading 29.5-ish. Uh, you put those two, the call and the put together, it's about $2 in premium. If you were to buy the implied move, uh, buying the at-the-money straddle in the weeklies, cost you 2 bucks. you'd need to move uh, above 31 and a half or below 27 and a half to make money. And the flip side of that is if you are convicted, want to define your risk, you think that the stock could rally more than, let's call it, um, you know, 3.5% or so, um, then you would just buy a call and you pay about a dollar. You buy that, the money put, pay about a dollar. Again, that's really hard trading into earnings, very binary sorts of things. If you get the direction wrong and short-dated options, you are going to be at zero very quickly. Guys, look at this chart, though. This is a five-year chart. And the way that this stock fell off a cliff in 2022 mm -hmm. it's it's the way a lot of very non uh, unprofitable maybe SaaS sort of names or you know that that sort of thing or it looks like some crap coin in the crypto space but this is intel man you know yeah. what i mean and again you know misexecution market share losses weak you know pull forward on a lot of their different businesses what do you do with this thing here? Because, you know, if you look at this year, you know, expectations are for earnings and sales decline. Yeah, trade's kind of cheap. You know what I mean? That, uh, like a market multiple. But, you know, I don't know, man. I'd rather pay more, let's say, for an NVIDIA maybe than buying an Intel, which seems like a, a value trap here. It's been a value trap for years. I, we said this last year and that falling off a cliff, that quarter they reported we said it was one of the worst quarters we've ever seen. Forget about tech. Forget about in, by any company that we had been talking about literally for years. It was an unmitigated disaster. And the stock fell in kind. I think it went from 40 to about 26 or something like that. Not in a straight line, but over the course of a couple of weeks. And, you know, people have been saying Intel's cheap for a while. I get it. People are saying how important Intel is um, to, to sort of this homeland security potential play. I get that as well. I get all those things. I will tell you. They have not executed at all. And data center, which is obviously a huge part of their business, has been has been basically a train wreck. Now, can the stock bounce? I think Mike Coco Beware was on Fast Money last night, and he spoke about call buying. I think he was talking about the 35 strike calls. And could you see a move like that? Well, that would be one of the biggest single one-day moves to the upside we've seen in a while. It's not out of the realm of possibility, given what we have seen. I would tell you this. My sense is if you do get that move and you long the stock, you take profits and you run for the hills. Yeah, I would just say below thirty dollars, and I don't know what strike Mike was talking or what what expiration Mike was talking about. I'd say that you know stay away. I, the only thing you'd want to do with a thirty-five call is sell it right here. You know what I mean? Because the likelihood that you're going to have a fifteen percent plus move um, is not particularly great. Let's look at another one. This is American Express guy. We talked about it a little earlier in the week um, on Market Call. I was on um, CNBC's Options Action last Friday. I detailed a bearish trade um, that I put on. On Monday, um, I was looking at February expiration. And real quickly, if they could throw the slide up from the show on Friday, because here's um, a, a 
quick little update. The stock has rallied a few percent. It was trading at 51 and a half or so. And I looked at February expiration. I bought the 150, 130 put spread, paying about $4 for that. Well, here we are right now. And this put spread with this stock around 155 and earnings tomorrow morning. Um, let's look at that chart again here. Um, we have about a three and a half percent implied move on this one. We also have Visa reporting after the close tonight. Again, two very different companies, but they may have similar commentary about consumer behavior here. The implied move, man, 5.7. Uh, that's a lot in dollar terms there, about 3.5% in percentage terms. You see the chart? Um, I don't know, guys. I mean, I don't have the right trade on right now. I do have a few more weeks for this to play mm -hmm. out. So even if I'm, you know, I'm down about a buck, it costs me $4 here. I like to use a mental stop of about 50%. And, you know, if your view changed, if you put this on on Monday and now it's Thursday afternoon and you know you have this event tomorrow morning, um, which is earnings, and you think that's going to dictate the course of the trade, you got to make a decision here. You either cut the loss and take a small loss, right? Or you stick it out and you say to yourself, um, you know what, I'm going to see how this thing goes and look to take a, maybe a quick profit if I get it going my way. But I, I don't love the chart setup. I could definitely see this thing headed back to, let's say, 145 or so, which is that uptrend. I think it was Discover Financial a week or so ago, DFS. Um, they came out, their credit, I mean, they basically continuing to take reserves for credit losses. That's somewhat concerning. And then you saw something with Capital One, and you start connecting dots and, you know, it's not this is they're the first, but they're not going to be the last. And as you know, and as the audience knows, the difference between American Express and a MasterCard and Visa is that MasterCard and Visa are basically just process transactions. They don't take credit risk. American Express does. So when things are good, American Express typically outperforms. When things start going a little pear shaped on the credit side, it's obviously going to feel it. The question is. Do they come out and say it this quarter? My sense is they're going to probably talk about that and probably start to, I would imagine, uh, talk about loan loss provisions or credit, whatever the terminology they use, which would lead me to believe we're going to test that uptrend. We'll see how it goes, though, right? I mean, that's what yeah. I'd be leaning towards. And I think we're going to, I think we have MasterCard tonight. Not that that's a necessarily a comp, but I think it'll give you a little bit of a window. But what COF said, uh, and what DFS said, I think you got to take that in consideration, American Express. And I think a bearish play here is probably the right one. And if I'm wrong, I'll come out tomorrow and say it or come out on Monday yeah. and say it. But here we are. Yeah. Um, one thing I did, MasterCard reported this morning, stocks down two and a quarter percent. They talked about um, card spending slowing. And so, again, I, I would expect to see, you know, similar commentary on the back of, um, you know, American Express's results tonight. And then Visa also um, reports. Uh, tonight, American Express is tomorrow morning. With Visa and tonight, right? Yeah. yeah. One so thing I, I was is, you, know, yeah. you know, so guy, this is how I like would maybe trade this a little bit. So I'm long that 150 put, which is now you know five dollars out of the money. When I bought the put spread, it was two dollars out of the money. The stock was like 152. Okay, so it's gone against me a little bit. I was short that 130 way downside. Very low probability of that happening. What I did today was I rolled that up. I bought that to close and I sold the 140. So right now I have the and I took in an additional 50 cents of premium. So I have the 150, 140 put spread on for three and a half dollars. Not a great risk reward. Usually I'll look for like 25% um, of the width uh, of something like that. But, you know, again, I'm just trying to move my feet a little bit and uh, and trade this thing. Um, all right, let's go to, I think, I think this is one of the more exciting parts of Market Call all week for you, Guy Donnie. Well, it's got to be butters. I mean, there's nothing else that can happen other than butters. I mean, unless we got EY's note, which she's not here. I think she's flying to 
somewhere in Wisconsin. I don't know. Are there direct flights to Wisconsin or you have to connect through a few Yeah, to Milwaukee. And you once got your ass kicked in Wisconsin. Yeah, I well, Wisconsin, so. I did, yeah. unfortunately. All right, let's do this thing. Okay, so every Thursday, um, we get a preview of John Butters. He's the senior earnings analyst over there at FactSet of his Earnings Insight blog that drops on their website every Friday morning. You can get it in your inbox as I do uh, on Fridays. And it's a great read here. And you know, we've been tracking John's data. John's data is never more important to me, guy, than during earnings season or the lead up to it and really getting a sense for what expectations are. When we think about trading, right? We think about, we use that term sentiment all the time. It has to do with expectations, right? And so John's been charting a lot of data for us as we entered into the end of Q4, into the Q4 earnings season. And today, I think this is a really timely one because he's talking about S&P 500 companies and their earnings exposure overseas, right? And we know that the dollar last year when it was rising was a huge headwind. We know that the dollar has come in now, and maybe we start to see that as a bit of a tailwind, but also the China reopening. And so he's saying for companies uh, with more than 50% international exposure are reporting a decline of 7.2% in earnings, while companies with more than 50% domestic exposure are reporting a decline of 3.7%. Um, you know, so that's really interesting to me. Talk to me about this because, you know, he's going to come out when earnings season is over and he's going to give us some data about what percentage of S&P 5 country companies cited a weak dollar or a surging China or, you know, like that sort of thing. So talk to me how you think about this data, Guy, because we know that some of the biggest inputs to S&P 500 earnings are obviously multinationals. It's interesting, again, that if you had told me these numbers, I would have said it's the exact opposite given everything you just talked about. Reopening of China, the dollar, you know, significantly lower from its all-time highs we made a few months ago. All those things theoretically should have been tailwinds for these multinationals. So I would have thought we would have seen companies with more international exposure do much better. And here it is pointing out that they're not, which, you know, I don't know what to make of it. Obviously, Europe's been slowing down in a meaningful way. I think that might be part of it. Um, some of the, you know, some of the EM things around, around sort of on the margins haven't been playing out all that well. I don't know. But it again, it just speaks to some of the euphoria around a weaker dollar and the China reopening was it was going to give a boost to the multinationals with with exposure overseas. And to this point, to John's note, it isn't the case. Maybe it's just a quarter early and maybe we're going to start to feel it over the next couple of quarters, I guess. But anecdotally, I don't think this yeah. is necessarily a good thing. Yeah. And, and as I just said, um, you know, John goes on to say uh, when he's looking at the sector levels here, information tech and communication services are the top drivers of larger earnings declines for companies with more international exposure. Um, the information tech and material sectors are the top drivers of the lower revenue growth rate for companies with more international exposure. And, and again, you know, this is something that we've seen outperformance of late in emerging markets in China, at least in the equity markets. So that's something that I think we're going to want to keep an eye on because that might be in the rearview mirror at this point, because China was not open, right, for most of um, last year and into Q4 here. So, um, again, if you want John Butters' earnings insight blog. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Uh, you know where you should go? To insight.factset.com slash subscribe. And you just have to put your name and your email in that. You're going to get in your email box. And the fun part about it is if you tune into Market Call on Thursdays, you get Guy and I previewing it. Good read for sure. And it's an important read because he talks about things that a lot of people just don't yeah. bring up. And it's just sort of one more arrow in your quiver. So you should absolutely 
uh, look for that, sign up for it, because I do think it's important. And if you're doing this each and every day, you have to have that type of information. And I think the reason why we do it every Thursday is because we obviously see the value in it and the importance of it. Yeah, matter of fact. All right, before we get out of here, guys, let's just take a look at Tesla. This is a name that we talk about a lot. Some people love that we talk about a lot. Some people hate that we talk about a lot. Some people think that you're more practical than I am as you think about the company uh, and the way, you know, like the the, the reports um, that they have and the, and the communication with investors. And they think I am being dogmatic. I'll just say this. You know, I, I had a tweet or an email from somebody who watches us, listens to us. And, you know, they're just kind of like in your face, stocks up 9%, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, listen, um, you know, I was long puts. Uh, I lost money. I reshorted the stock right around here at $158. I'm long this TLSQ here. I'll just say this. I invest in companies and there's a whole host of reasons why I buy a stock. First and foremost, it has to be trustworthiness of the CEO and the management of this company. And I'll be telling you, you can take, you can say whatever you want to say about what this next comment that I'm going to make. I do not trust Elon Musk. Elon Musk said a number of things on that call last night that I think that he probably knows was not true, but he knows that he can get away with it. Why? For 10 plus years, he's been giving outlandish sort of um, guidance about what this company is going to do, what their products are going to do, when they're going to be released and all this stuff. And, and, and a lot of them just don't come true. So that's one reason why I'll probably never buy the stock. Valuation is another one. And so... I'm going to keep doing it. And you know what? If you want to find your cheerleaders, your permabulls, there's plenty of them. This is a cult, okay? And Guy and I have seen this again and again and again. And maybe 400 to 100 was enough. I'm not so sure because I think ultimately the chickens have to come home to roost as far as competition and what these guys have had to say about their ability to compete in places like China. And I just don't think it's going to be particularly bullish, uh, at least in that area in 2023. All right, you go for it. Stocks up 50% over the last you know month or, or so. Today, it's going to trade probably north of two times normal volume. I think the stock typically trades about 130 million shares. I think if I'm looking correctly, we're approaching 180-ish. So we'll probably get to about two times, which, you know, might be capitulation and shorts covering people getting out of longs. And we'll see if it exhausts itself here. Uh, that's probably my thought. But again, we'll see. Dan drew the line. Maybe we sort of continue to trend up to that's probably about a 165 level or so. Um, as, as I say a gazillion times, that's why markets go up and down. That's what makes markets. February, Dan, I want to say it's the 8th, 11 a.m. And I'm going to read this, so bear with me. Because it's the 8th. No, it's the 8th. Joint Fact Set and Risk Reversal 30-minute virtual event to discuss the outlook for the three E's, earnings, energy, and ESG in 2023. We'll be joined by Butters, not John Butters, just Butters, as well as Matthew Haggerty using both names, and Eli Reisman. Now, if they do well... We might be start calling like just we might just be saying Eli going forward. We'll see. Live stream February 8th, 11 a.m. Go to riskreversal.com slash factset 2023. We have a link in the description on both on YouTube. Check it out. That's it for today's market call. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Dan Nathan. Thank you to our triumvirate of sponsors, Factset CME Group. And SoFi, we won't be back tomorrow unless something crazy happens, but we will definitely see you on Monday. Monday, by the way, Dan and I will be in South Beach uh, for a conference, but we'll still be coming to you. So we'll see you then.